You're listening to All The Best. I'm Helena Brony-Peters. There's a forest behind the house I grew up in, which I used to love playing in as a kid. It was pretty hilly, so it made for a popular spot among mountain bikers and BMX riders. I never had the courage to take it up until my dad decided to take me down one of the most treacherous trails on a tag-along bike. There I was, six years old, bouncing along behind him, having the time of my life. Miraculously, nothing went wrong. The bottom of the trail opened out onto a huge field, teeming with butterflies. It was probably one of the most beautiful places I'd ever seen. So, when the council announced plans to redevelop the area with a new highway, I was pretty devastated. Later that week, the community hall was packed with people rallying against it. For the most part, I had no idea what was going on. All I knew was that I didn't want the highway. But thanks to a few very dedicated individuals, to this day, that forest remains untouched. After a successful match on Hinge, Evan began spending a lot of time in the Central Highlands and fell in love with the giant flowering gum trees. In our next story, he talks to some of the people who have dedicated their lives to understanding and protecting these forests. The Central Highlands form a triangle from King Lake to Eildon and then down to Bunyip in eastern Victoria on Gunai Kurnai, Tungarung and Wurundjeri lands. With perfect elevation and heavy rainfall, the Central Highlands is Goldilocks country for the mountain ash. It's this part of the world that I've had the pleasure to get to know in 2021, a year which started with a month in Warburton. Warburton is a little over an hour east from Melbourne CBD. Inhaling and exhaling on arrival, you feel immediately healthier with the forest and mist that envelops the mountains over Birrarung, or what you might know as the Yarra River. After a month alongside the striking king parrots and crimson rosellas, I thought my time here would be brief. But it's fair to say that this plan was turned on its head. Somewhere at the end of last year, driving down the coast back to Melbourne, I matched with and started chatting to Kath. I didn't know a lot about her other than she was a vet with a great smile, a love of the outdoors, a super turn of phrase and a resident of Hillsville, just down the road from Warburton. Not too long after I arrived in the Central Highlands, she materialised from behind the app and now teases me for spending more time in Hillsville with her than the city. In 2021, a year where Metropolitan Melbourne, which includes Hillsville, took the title for the city with the world's longest lockdown, this part of the world has become part of my home and the mountain ash trees loom large. Every week, I venture into some part of the forest near Hillsville, trying to tap into a sense of calm and a different sense of time that these trees create. I don't take big things for granted, especially not the mountain ash trees. They tower over everything else. With a growth rate of up to a metre a year, they sprout with an incredible haste for as much sunlight as they can absorb. I really wanted to get to know these soothing trees intimately and capture what gives them their uplifting quality. But to untrained eyes, like mine, they can be difficult to describe. 
so I've enlisted the help of a few people who have made it their life to understand, celebrate and protect this special forest. I'm passionate about forests, passionate about Australian wildlife and passionate about conservation. That's Professor David Lindemeyer, a professor of ecology at the Australian National University in Canberra. David is recognised as the world's leading expert on the mountain ash forests of the Central Highlands. Gosh, mountain ash trees would have to be some of the most stunning trees on the planet. So when you see a mountain ash tree, you see this incredibly tall, smooth bark eucalypt. And then it's got a kind of sock at the bottom around the, the base of the tree, almost like a stocking. And the thing that's really quite remarkable about these extraordinary trees is that there's such a little canopy, tiny little canopy for such a monumentally large tree. So the really beautiful trunk, interesting stocking of, of sort of dense fissured bark and then a tiny little canopy at the top and then in really big trees what happens is that mountain ash trees shed their skin every year so it's it's the bark that gets shed as the tree grows much like a snake sheds its skin every year. As evocative as David's description is nothing quite beats going out into the forests and taking a look at these flowering giants for yourself. I met Jordan Crook, a nature campaigner for the Victorian National Parks Association in the Tulangi State Forest, home to some of the tallest mountain ash trees on mainland Australia. Here in Australia we've got some of the most amazing plants and animal species on the face of the earth and really passionate about protecting those species and habitats for future generations and for the species themselves. And we're here underneath the Kalatha Giant on Tunnerong Country in Tulangi Forest. The Kalatha Giant is one of the most spectacular in Tulangi State Forest. It's about 65 metres tall, the same height as the Sydney Opera House. And you see by the younger trees around it, they're, they're all competing for light. And that's what pushes them to get so tall. And they shed those lower limbs as quick as possible because they can't get the light to them to photosynthesize and, and keep living. So, yeah, the first branch on the Kalatha Giant, probably about 15 metres or so up. And it's kind of won the race of all the trees around it. So it's just got up. It's not competing. It's more about putting on girth and height now and really flowering a lot more than the younger trees and it's kind of won the race and it's in retirement and it's just kicking back and relaxing. <laughs> Another person who is equally transfixed by this beautiful tree is Sarah Reese. I'm a local from the Yarra Valley and have been living in that region for 20 years and I have an immense passion for the giant mountain ash trees and the forest that's beneath them and I have followed that passion since I first discovered them and that would have been 1999. Sarah is also one of the driving forces behind the Great Forest National Park campaign. Here's her take on the Kalatha Giants. It's just like wow these are still alive they're 350, 450 years old and still flowering and, and if you've been to the Kalatha Giant, if you can get inside that tree, stand up and have a look and you can see the, the sun or the stars from within it and it's still alive, very much alive and, and used by wildlife. So these are trees that continue on for a long time before they actually become the soil again. My first experience with them reminded me of walking amongst the dinosaurs because they are so old, they're so large and uh, they're still living. On colder days, clouds hang low, 
and the forest, well, it's like a Jurassic landscape. Walking through, I feel transported into another world where everything in the Central Highlands is ancient and alive. What also stands out is how embedded these trees are within the entire ecosystem. According to David, it's a complex, interconnected web that enables the mountain ash forest to be home to species such as the threatened greater glider. It's also the last remaining habitat for the endangered leadbeater's possum and the helmeted honeyeater, Victoria's two faunal emblems. But there are other really, really intimate interrelationships between the forest and the animals in these systems. A, a good example is the mountain brush-tailed possum, which is a close relative of the common brush-tailed possum, which is an animal that, that comes in and eats the vegetables in your garden and your fruit trees. But the mountain brush-tailed possum is a, is a deep, wet forest animal. A lot of its time is spent eating fungi, including truffles. And those truffles grow on the roots of eucalypt trees and fix nutrients and help the trees to grow. The truffles can't move through the forest without first passing through the gut of a possum or a native bush rat. And so really the way the forest works then is that the forest is not just a bunch of trees, it's actually also the relationships between the trees and the fungi and the soils and the animals. And the forest simply doesn't function without these intimate interconnections. This year, that ecosystem became a bit too familiar. It was Anzac Day, and I was battling a nasty non-COVID virus. Despite struggling to walk down the street that morning, I'd convinced myself and Kath that I was up to the challenge of climbing Mount Juliet, a mountain just outside of Hillsville. This is no easy hike. It's over one kilometre above sea level with an 800 metre climb in just three kilometres. I've heard it's one of the steepest in Victoria. It was hard going and I struggled badly, pausing, wincing and wheezing along the way. When we eventually reached the summit, there was a dangerous combination of relief, jubilation and distraction. We left late in the afternoon with two hours of walking to go and less than two hours of sunlight remaining, what could possibly go wrong? It turns out when you walk off the path and veer off track, the answer is quite a lot. One of the first clues that we had left the track were how the trees and ferns had been left to run completely wild. It was the deepest into a forest that I'd ever ventured and it was overwhelming. Against the towering mountain ash trees, masses of ferns and a GPS running around helplessly, I felt tiny. We were completely underprepared for a night walk. No head torch, all water consumed on the ascent, and no thermal clothing. Shivering like a chihuahua, our saving grace was phone reception. We called triple zero, where a confused operator tried to make sense of our coordinates. It was a three kilometer uphill hike for the cops, and I'll never forget the one who said it was the most exercise he had done in 10 years. By the time they arrived, I was a shivering wreck, operating on adrenaline alone. And as sheepish as we were feeling, being escorted by four police officers down a mountain, including a ride in a dimmy van one kilometer along the fire trail, it sure beat an evening overnight on the mountain. Looking back on it all, it was a real turning point, with Kath, who could have reasonably blamed me, but didn't, for putting up my hand for a challenging hike while in shoddy health, and with the forest. 
At that moment, I felt an incredible amount of trust, care, and love for one another as we went through a precarious situation. It's a feeling that's kept repeating itself since, and it's especially strong every time we take off for a hike together. On that day, a new connection with the mountain ash forest and the central highlands was born. Until then, I'd never realised how wild this part of Victoria is. This was something I would expect in much more remote territory, far away from Melbourne. Here on the doorstep is an incredible collision of different worlds, an ever-stretching suburbia against a pocket of nature that launches a forest highway up to Cairns. These two worlds, the one where we consume, buy and build, the other where nature is just left to be, contrasts starkly. It's this tension that provides some of the greatest threats and opportunities for the mountain ash trees. One of these worlds is mostly unaware of the other. I'm not subscribing to conspiracy, but if you don't want people to see what's happening, you don't celebrate a region. Like Sarah, I'd also wondered why such little effort was put into promoting this part of the country. I think a lot of the energy has really been put into celebrating regions that are now tourism friendly rather than trying to bring tourists into this area, which is sort of treated as an industrial fibre crop. And I know that's a very brutal thing to say, but for a long time the government's been allowed to do this without prying eyes, which means it hasn't become controversial. So it's a way of avoiding controversy. But by the same token, the thrilling aspect of this is that guess what? It exists. And guess what? They're still standing. You can still get to these places and, and have these experiences and there's no limits. So despite the fact that there are many areas now logged, there are many areas that are still intact and worthy of our push for the Great Forest National Park. The Great Forest National Park is a proposal that would provide ultimate protection to the native forests that still sit in the Central Highlands through an uninterrupted national park, adding an extra 355,000 hectares. Jordan Crook from the VNPA believes that the need for protection is very real. Like the mountain ash trees, the older they get, and we've got most of the trees around here 80 years old, and they take over 120 years to form hollows. So we're closer to having forests full of hollows than not. Mm. We log them, we lose that, and we go back to square one. Um, and the hollows are, are vital for quite a lot of species. Yeah. We're really talking about the need for a conservation protection strategy that gives the mountain ash trees the time that they need to hollow out in the way to support the wildlife that you've just talked about. Yeah, absolutely. And that, like every hollow-bearing tree in the landscape should should be protected, no doubt. Any, um, any threatening process, be it a road widening or uh, logging or fuel reduction work, should avoid hollow-bearing trees at all costs. Once they're gone, they're gone. Uh, a lot of the trees around them are too young to have the hollows, so where do the animals go in that meantime? They can't wait sitting around twiddling their thumbs for 120 years waiting. Um, we've got to protect the hollow bearing trees that already exist. It's staggering to think about the threats that these mountain ash trees are facing. Victoria is the most cleared state in the country, with over 60% of native vegetation destroyed. And even though the state government has committed to ending logging of native forests by 2030, it's a long time that can yield a lot of damage. This combination of logging, fires, 
a lack of protection and climate change has meant that the mountain ash forests of the Central Highlands have been classified as critically endangered by the International Union for Conservation of Nature. For David Lindemeyer, the possibility of complete collapse is a deep concern. The mountain ash ecosystem is in danger of ecological collapse. The reason for that is that there's such little old forest left and the young forest which dominates the landscape is very, very flammable. And in the event of yet more fires on top of what we've had in 2009 and actually even in the last Black Summer fires as well, some of the Central Highlands burnt, the risk is that when the forest reburns, the trees will be too young and won't produce enough viable seed to be able to continue to persist. That is that they're not old enough to produce viable seed crops, which means that there aren't any germinants, which means that the forest then doesn't regenerate after fire like it has done for the last 20 million years. So the danger becomes then that mountain ash will be lost and replaced by wattles and other plants, but will lose the dominant tree species, which is where most of the carbon storage is, which is where almost all of the tree hollows are, where most of the water supply comes from. We have in the immediate vicinity of Melbourne one of the world's most unique and wonderful trees. Sadly, so many mountain ash trees aren't protected, with many that aren't ending up as pulp, thanks to a 1938 contract with the Maryvale Mill committing the Victorian government to supply native timber until 2030. I find it heartbreaking to think that these trees which have been such a calming, steady and wonderful presence in a lockdown year, are bound to meet such a fate. The prospect of the magical mountain ash being lost is something we should rally against. With only 1% of old growth forest remaining, this is our last chance to rethink how we treat these magnificent trees. Sarah Reese thinks if we're smart, they'll play a role as Melbourne heals from what feels like years of lockdown. We are going to have to invigorate Melbourne. We're going to have to help people heal. There is going to be a legitimate trauma that's going to come from lockdown. And nature has a wonderful, it speaks a language to everyone. It has a language for everyone and speaks to everyone. These places, particularly the Great Forest, these places will help people heal. And if Premier Andrews and others want to celebrate both our city and put it back on, on its feet then announcing and launching a national park is a really great way to do that. If we're even smarter, we'll realise that it's our responsibility to stand up for these trees, which is what Jordan Crook wants you to do. This is public land. You make the call on how they're managed and how they're looked after. You can come out here and look at the trees and they kind of speak for themselves. There's, there's not enough words in a dictionary to describe how amazing a big old mountain ash tree is and the amount of life that is in it and around it and the ecosystem that it creates. But I guess the most important thing is that these are your forests. And in the coming few years, we have a huge potential to let these forests grow old and in our lifetimes have older growth forests. So most of them are 80 years they're closer to being old growth and not old growth. So there's a potential there to really achieve something amazing. But people got to raise their voices, let their elected officials know we want the forest protected. We want native forest logging to be phased out quicker and 
that will benefit everybody. When it comes to the environment, second chances are rare. But with the mountain ash trees, we have a slim one. About one third of the mountain ash forest in the central highlands is already 80 years old, which means that in many of our lifetimes, we'll live to a point where they start to hollow out and begin to transform their surrounds. Over the years, these trees have given us about everything they can to create towns, economies and jobs. But now we have the opportunity to say thank you and restore an ecosystem that's already helping us to restore how we relate to nature and if we're lucky, one another. I never thought that a tree would come to define my sense of home. But in a world where everything has been turned on its head, the mountain ash tree has completely blurred the city wilderness divide that existed in my mind. They've inspired me with new ideas and they've helped tremendously as life returned to a smaller scale. Melbourne's now been out of lockdown for almost a month and even though we're allowed to venture much further afield, Kath and I are still regularly venturing into the mountain ash forests. We even managed to climb Mount Juliet again without getting lost. With flowering giants on our doorstep, it's time to let them bloom. That story was produced by Evan Wallace. Sarah Mashman was the supervising producer, with music by Corey Walker. To find out more about how you can get involved, Friends of Leadbeater's Possum is an organisation working to support this critically endangered marsupial in their last remaining habitat of the Central Highlands. You can find more info and links to donate at www.leadbeaters.org.au. You've been listening to All The Best. I'm Helena Baroni-Peters. At All The Best, you can learn how to make audio documentaries, essays, and fiction. If you have a story to tell, get in touch. Visit allthebestradio.com and send us your pitch. We'll pair you with one of our supervising producers to help make your story. All the Best's home station, FBI Radio, is currently running our yearly Radiothon. As a community station, FBI relies on listener support and an incredible team of volunteers who make what we do possible. This week, we're reaching out to all our listeners who are interested in supporting. You can sign up to be a supporter at fbiradio.com forward slash support. As an FBI Radio supporter, you'll be eligible to win giveaways like vinyl, movie tickets, gigs, and more every single week. Plus, if you sign up by November 19th, you'll go into the draw to win one of our five Radiothon major prizes, which includes a year's worth of beer from Young Henry's and a year of coffee from Single O. Community Radio is a super important platform for supporting emerging producers. 
This is what community radio means for the All The Best team. I started out volunteering at Edge Radio in Hobart many years ago. My good friend Alex and I had a local news commentary show that we poured our hearts into. One week, we drove for five hours up to a protest against logging in the Laponia Forest. We wanted to interview Dr. Lisa Searle. The problem was, she was 20 metres up a eucalyptus tree, and she planned to spend the next two weeks there as an act of resistance against forestry Tasmania. I put a list of questions and a Zoom recorder in a bucket, and we winched it 20 metres up that tree to get that interview. That was a lot of years ago and I've been in love with community radio ever since. Through community radio, I've been afforded the opportunity to talk to authors and artists I would otherwise never have gotten the chance to. I've met people from all walks of life, made good friends, and collaborated with and guided emerging audio storytellers through the process of making some really fantastic stories. FBI has been a huge part of my life and has meant so much to me. It's an amazing community of volunteers and has opened me up to so many opportunities, starting off behind the desk, to working in the music library, to being accepted into presenter training and presenting on the All Nighters program, to being here hosting all the best. I've met some of the most amazing, hardworking people around. So many volunteers at the station put in hours upon hours of work into their shows every single week just because we really care about our listeners and making great content for you. The amount of time and pride I've seen volunteers put into their work is amazing. It is such a supportive and energised community. Through my time at FBI, I've met some of the most inspiring and dedicated people I know, who all work tirelessly to amplify Sydney's independent music and art scene. Community radio stations rely on listener support to keep running. If you believe in the arts and in providing diverse people with a platform and space for learning, you should support community radio. Plus, if you sign up, you'll be eligible for some pretty sick giveaways every week. And who doesn't love a good giveaway? To support FBI, sign up at fbiradio.com forward slash support. All the best would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which we make these stories and pay our respects to elders past and present. All the best is made at FBI Radio on Gadigal land in association with SIN and 3RRR on Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung and Boonarung lands and 8CCC on Arunda and Warramundu lands. Our editorial manager is Mel Chun and our production manager is Danny Stewart. Emma Pham is our social media producer. Our community and events coordinator is Lydia Yosifova. And Wing Kwong is the All the Best mentee producer. Shining Bird composed our theme music and Annie Hamilton designed the artwork. We're heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network and we're made possible by the Community Broadcasting Foundation. You can find out more at cbf.org.au. You can find more episodes by searching for All the Best 
wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Helena Brony-Peters. Thanks for listening.